Hey everybody, this is Mike. Tonight I just wanted to take a moment before the podcast actually kicks off and say a big thank you to everyone who's been downloading podcasts. Uh, I'm really not a numbers person, but I just want to tell you that I'm blown away by the amount of people who are enjoying the cast and who are giving us feedback, and I really, really appreciate it. This is something I do because I love it, and uh, I know you listen because you love it. So I just want to say thank you. Also, on this podcast at the very end uh, will be the first little clip of uh, Storytime with Pops. So stay tuned and listen for that. Also, last thing, I want to say thank you to uh, Mothership for letting us use their music. Uh, they've been the intro music for season two and also the outro music. So if you want to check them out, look at uh, just Google Mothership USA and uh, you'll find their site. As well as I think they have a new album in the works. So check them out, Mothership USA. And thanks for listening. Copper outlaws riding their throbbing steel machines. Defiling whatever they touch. We want to be free to ride our machines without being hassled by the man. Yeah, we don't want nobody telling us what to do. We don't want nobody pushing us around. everybody, welcome to Chopper Profits. I'm Mike, I'm your host. Tonight's interview, uh, I have the pleasure of speaking to someone who I met on Instagram and then uh, later was able to meet in person at the Show Class Magazine's People's Champ Award, uh, or show rather, just before Born Free Five. Uh, he is an artist of the true sense. Uh, he's taught art. Uh, he lives his life in art. And uh, please welcome to the show, Gorgeous George. How you doing, George? Hey, doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Um, right on. Gorgeous George is talking to us from Raleigh, North Carolina, or just a brown Raleigh. Uh, seems like a lot of good people come from North Carolina. Uh, we we got a tight crew for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to throw these out here for you, um, George, just because I want to make sure people know how to, to find you. Um, Gorgeous George, as he doesn't call himself that, obviously, but ha- he was nicknamed Gorgeous George because <laughs> he is pretty gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous George, Gorgeous George is an artist, a true artist, and I love seeing his stuff. If you'd like to see his stuff, you can go uh, on Instagram and follow him at the Gorgeous George, and you'll find him. Uh, whether you have a computer, you can go to Instagram.com forward slash the Gorgeous George to see his stuff just on a computer or on Instagram. You can find him at the Gorgeous George, as well as uh, he sells art, and uh, usually he'll let you know through Instagram, um, but you can find it on his website. Uh, it's gorgeousgeorgeart.com. Well, George, I'm stoked to have you on the show because uh, not only am I a fan of your art, but you're also a member of one of my favorite groups of guys. Uh, you are a member of Death Science. Yep, sure. And I'll tell you what, anybody who knows you guys, that you guys are just a bunch of solid guys, like a bunch of solid dudes. How long have you known um, some of the guys within Death Science? Uh, it's been a few years. I mean, I can't, I can't put an exact date on it. I know, uh, my wife, when we were dating, we were living in Chapel Hill at the time. So that must've been at least two and a half, three years ago. Um, you know, I just reached out to, you know, Tim one time and, uh, he had some contests for some buttons or something. And I was like, Hey, I'm over here in Chapel Hill. And he's like, come hang out. 
So, you know, that's how I sort of got linked up with the dudes and sort of met everybody through them. Um, you know, but, you know, it's just a rad group of dudes to, uh, you know, think about the people I've met through that mm-hmm. and how close, you know, I've gotten to some of the guys. And, you know, as any family is, you, you're super close to some people, some you rarely see, but you still talk to. And, right. you know, it's it's cool. And uh, it's definitely uh, a community of talent and knowledge, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think about certain instances where I've uh, talked to Jason about parts or, uh, you know, called up Kyle and, you know, just because I needed something or whatever, you know, and, and it's cool just to have that backbone of like, you know, just a solid group of dudes. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's what makes it cool. Absolutely. And I, and I totally got that from not only from just seeing you guys interact online, um, but also getting to meet you guys uh, in person. And then also, again, after Born Free. Um, seeing the lovely pics from you getting to hang out with um, Steve and Kathleen, and um, that was cool. I'm pretty sure you hung out with them because they had a pool party and had some folks down there. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually didn't get to go to the oh, pool you party. Oh, I, was, man. Uh, I blew that uh, one. I was, uh, yeah, I was with uh, my buddy Paul, who's uh, art director at uh, Loser Machine, hanging out with him and his family that week. Uh, awesome. You know, so. Um, but yeah, dude, it looks like I missed out on the red time at the pool party for sure. <laughs> I saw some of those pictures, uh, which obviously, because of thanks to the technology of Instagram, you can now go back in time and see what went down. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm sorry that I brought that up then. I, I thought for sure I saw you in some pics, but oh well. No, no, it's cool. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, another thing, since we are, um, since this is a, a, a podcast geared towards not only motorcycles, but first and foremost, the people, uh, behind them. Um, I want to point out that I love your love of sportsters. It's, uh, it's not something you see every day as far as like when you come across some really great looking sportsters, um, someone that's just posting, you know, uh, pics on Instagram. Most of the time it's a big twin or it's a knuckle or, you know, it's something that's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, I don't want to say it's more of like the in pictures. Uh, tell us a little bit about yeah. your love for, for sporties. Oh, dude, I, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's just uh, me being poor. You know, <laughs> it's like Sportsters are affordable. They're yeah. they're rad little bikes. I mean, it's still Harley Davidson. You can't deny the fact that you know there's a rich history in Sportsters, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's you know built to be sort of like a race bike. You know, it's built to be easy to work on, a little bit more nimble. You know, a little bit easier to handle. Um, and you know, it, it gets the rep as like a girl's bike or whatever, but at the same time, it's a, it's a rad little bike from, you know, looking back all the way to the K models, all the way up to the newer sportsters. I mean, you can't deny that even like an 883 is going to be a fun bike to ride. Um, Absolutely. so, so, I mean, I just love sportsters. I mean, I just think they're cool. And, you know, cause I have one, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. if I had a knucklehead, I'd be like, knuckleheads forever. They're the raddest <laughs> bikes ever. Right. But, you know, I, I could, uh, you know, I'm not in that ball game yet. <laughs> so from for now, it's like I'm going to bring as much love as I can to the sportster game, you know. And like for all the dudes, I mean, it, it, there's tons of dudes out there riding sportsters. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a Craigslist bike. You know, you can find them for cheap, and you can do whatever you want to do it. You know, you just gotta you gotta make it your own or ride it stock, however you want to do it. You can turn it into a cafe or a dirt bike. I don't care. You know, sportsters are cool for sure. Absolutely. Um, what, what... You know, but. 
I was, I'm yeah, sorry. I was yeah, going to ask you what you're riding now. What's what year and and uh, how'd you how'd you build yours out? Uh, mine's a a 1983 XLH. It's you know the thousand cc uh-huh. uh, Sportster Ironhead. One of the one of the last few Ironheads that they made before they switched over in what 85 or something. Whenever they did it, I don't know. Um, but uh, you know it's. It's sort of a weird bike. Um, it's it's an 80s frame for sure, so it has that it had that weird triangular uh, bull tank. Mm-hmm. But you know, my uh, wife a few years ago bought me this cool little round old tank that fits in that frame perfectly. Um, you know, just so it have more of a chopper feel. Mm-hmm. It's got a you know just the flat you know trailer fender um, in the rear, 21 inch mini uh, drum up front. Uh, some narrow Z bars now I'm running, some cool, you know, 70s style risers, uh, old LaPera seat, um, the big winger shaped sissy bar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I took these weird, I guess they were more like the 60s, 70s style fender struts. Mm-hmm. And then the, the 80s ones and the 90s ones sort of had that curved fender strut. Mm-hmm. Which looked kind of like a I don't know a limp wiener or something, <laughs> and uh, I was like I was like you know I'm all about you know a wiener on my bike, but I, I didn't like the way that those <laughs> fender struts looked. So you know I I I just cut those off and uh, shaped up some of those old seventies ones. And my buddy Wesley, um, part of the the family, uh, he uh, welded them onto the frame for me once. What I did is a hack up job of trying to drill and bolt them on <laughs> didn't work. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like my lim- my limited welding knowledge did not, you know, come to fruition until he sort of helped me out there. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it's it's a weird bike. It's, it's me. It's fun. Coffin tank. Um, you know, it's, it's just a kooky little sportster. Um, somebody asked me to describe it, and I was like, it's a 60s, 70s style sportster on an 80s frame, you know. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. It's it's just fun, you know, and it's me. And uh, I built a bike that I'd be into, and you know, just sort of went with it. As it should be. Do you have a name for it? Uh, it's been dubbed the Baloney Pony. <laughs> That's so. And awesome. uh, or, originally, I wanted it to be called the Beaver Pleaser, <laughs> but that one didn't stick. Yeah. Um, but I just repainted it, and uh, it's uh, sort of like an almond color. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I made a little Instagram post, you know, sort of just throwing it out there, letting people sort of play with the name. I said I might want to call it the Off White Power instead of White Power, <laughs> right. you know. And I thought that was That's kind awesome. of you know nerdy and just being from the South, there's you know always yeah. that sort of Paula Dean sense of racism that goes around. <laughs> right. um, so uh, you know, Off White Power, or whatever, and uh, Bobby Good Times who built the White Wizard up put a post up there and it mm-hmm. said something like maybe we can pretend it's the white wizard's little brother and call it the <laughs> off white wizard you know even though it's nowhere nearly as cool as his knucklehead you know that him and bobby's a leg built but yeah. you know whatever just a little thing and he actually hit me back with something like what about the off white power ranger you know and i was <laughs> like hey, i was like <laughs> i was like i kind of dig that as well for sure you know that um, is awesome you know and that's cool. Some people came up with some funny names like the the cream sickle and stuff like that, and the cream dream, which kind of got a little dirty. Yeah, of but, course. You know, 
but you know, it's fun, man. And that, and that's what I like about the community. Uh, it's a lot of people, you know, realize that we're all just a bunch of grown up, either punks or skateboarders or BMXers. And, you know, yeah. we all just like to have a good time. And, you know, when you throw something, I like that. And, uh, people respond positively and humorously. It's, it's really just like a, it's, it's a, it's a booster, man, for like the community. I feel, and, and that's what I like about it. You know, absolutely. Um, just people being funny and having fun. That's what it's all about, for sure. Well, I don't think, uh, you know, for the most part, of the books I've read and uh, any documentaries I've seen, because I obviously wasn't around in the '60s, um, but uh, everything I've seen, typically, you know, most bike clubs or bo- most guys who were on bikes, even aside from being in a club. Um, they were just wanting to have a good time, you know, and you get a bunch of dudes together and we all of a sudden turn into a bunch of 13 year olds. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it, it's just ridiculous, man. Uh, like when we were up at the little best Science family reunion thing, we just did up in Baltimore at college place, man. It was a bunch of dudes acting like complete teenagers. <laughs> it was, it's, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. We're burping and farting and eating pizza. The only thing different is, you know, we're not watching horror movies at midnight acting like we're being badasses. We're drinking beer, you know, right, right. <laughs> and setting stuff on fire. That's really the only <laughs> difference. We're we're still the same age mentally, but, you know, it's we got these powerful machines between our legs that we act like complete idiots on. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about um, I want to talk about you and, and you growing up um, and what life was like for for Gorgeous George, you know, at a young age, like in your family, in your household? Yeah, cool. Um, you know, really just the average, normal, you know, American childhood. I grew up playing, you know, Little League baseballs on the swim team, you know. My parents, you know, I was blessed to have parents who, who stuck together, you know, and they've mm-hmm. been together for since 1977, I think. So however many years that wow. is, you know. That's rare. Um, solid, yeah, solid family life, which, you know, I was super blessed to, you know, grow up in a household like that. Um, we actually grew up in the church, you know, um, which, which, you know, you know, it's not really my bag right now, not something I'm super involved in, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, definitely instilled some morals and, you know, foundation for, you know, and it shaped me as to who I am as a person, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um just because it was a big part of my life as a kid. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, it was just a normal old childhood, you know, riding my bike up and down the driveway. We lived out in the country. We still do, you know. My parents still have the house right there um, on the main road. And, uh, you know, it, just a regular old childhood, man. I can't think of, you know, like anything that was, you know, outstanding or super odd or anything just growing up out in the country playing around in the woods you know what um, <laughs> i guess every every kid's dream sure sure what uh what'd your dad do for a living uh my dad uh worked for the state he was a uh bridge maintenance guy so uh he worked for the department of transportation and uh, towards uh and and that's what he did uh for 35 years he worked for the state he just wow. retired maybe five or six years ago Wow. Um, he's 63, just turned 63, uh, a month ago today, actually. Um, you know, uh, rad dude, uh, super 
look up to my dad and everything that he's done. Um, you know, when we had hard times, you know, he got us through it. You know, mm-hmm. it was never a thing where me and my brother realized how bad off we were. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad, dad just sort of took care of it, you know. And, uh, you know, we we didn't have the fanciest of things. You know, we grew up, you know, fairly poor. But looking back, I'm like, yeah, we were kind of poor. You know, <laughs> I wore all my brother's old clothes. You yeah, know, yeah. that's just how it was. But, you know, it, I never knew it as a kid. Sure. You know, and, and, and they were excellent about, you know, us doing the things that we, uh, you know, needed to do to have like a normal childhood. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, he was just like the, the, the anchor of the family. He took care of everything and uh, he worked, you know. Mm-hmm. In in Raleigh, and uh, we actually lived about well at the time the way the roads were, it was about you know thirty or forty five minutes for him to just get to work every day, and uh, mm-hmm. you know he'd be out the door early and home after five, and uh, you know he was just that solid you know rock of the family, like working class dude, and you know it worked out, and I guess uh, you know he really instilled that you know family first type of attitude in both me and my brother, so mm-hmm. yeah. Rad guy for sure. <laughs> what about your mom? Was she a stay-at-home mom and full-time taking care of you guys, or did she have a job as well? Uh, well, my brother was a handful, so she probably could have stayed home and uh, <laughs> had a full-time job. But she actually worked part-time at a local, like, uh, small airport that had like a flight school, and you know, not like you know, big jumbo jets and stuff, mm-hmm. but like Cessnas and stuff like that. And uh, she did the books out there for a. Uh, a small um, airport and uh, made sure that, you know, all the money was in the right place and things like that. And uh, she only worked part-time so she could drop us off at school and then be home with us when we got out of school. So she uh, definitely took, you know, and that that may, you know, may have been what led to some of the, you know, financial hard times we may have had, but Mm -hmm. she knew that that was more important for the family than her being at work till five o'clock and us either being then like after school care or at some type of daycare or being babysat, you know, right. just, just, you know, that, that family first type mentality is, uh, uh, what I, what I feel played into, uh, that, that decision that, you know, my parents made to have my mom just work part-time instead of full-time. Yeah. Well, what, um, so I guess, what I was digging for with your mom and your dad, I was, I was looking to see where the the influence came for you as as an artist early on, or if it even was there. Um, I guess as far as you know, the, you know, being an artist and whatnot, it, my mom is a musician. She plays piano, mm-hmm. and her father, which uh, he he passed away before my parents even got married, so I've, I've never met my grandfather on her side. But mm-hmm. uh, he was a musician as well. He he played like saxophone and stuff like that um, back in the fifties and sixties with a couple different bands and things like that. And uh, you know, just the creative sort of artsy, be yourself, you know, type thing comes from her side of the family more than my dad's side of the family. They're very southern, working class, either, you know, agricultural or, you know, like uh, plumbing type background. Mm-hmm. Um, just real working class, blue collar people. Um, where my mom's side was more artistic. And uh, I guess that's where I get it from. But 
my main thing, I, I, and I always, when somebody asks me, like, where did you start doing art? Like, my first recollection is sitting on the floor with this upside-down uh, cover to the to the record player that had broken off full mm-hmm. of crayons and mm-hmm. some paper. And, like, the printer paper that had, like, the dotted edge, you know, that you could pull off. Yeah. And they're, yeah. like, an equipment. Yeah, like, a, a stack of that stuff and just drawing, like, Ninja Turtles and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, like uh, skateboarders and bicycles and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, that's always our back to my first, like, artistic experience. Because how, how old while my you? mom was chasing, oh, I, I don't know, I probably just old enough to hold some crayons or whatever, wow. you know? And of course the, the Ninja Turtle thing come along till later, of course, right. but you know, scri- <laughs> scribbling and whatnot. And, you know, that's sort of where I attribute my first artistic experiences to, because my, bro- my brother being the handful that he was and the wild child, you know, mm-hmm. my mom sort of had to keep a close eye on him, but she could, and he, he was six years older. So of course he was much more active than I was like, you know, you mm-hmm. know, developmentally at the time, just being sort of off the wall and whatnot. Um, so, you know, that was sort of just my thing to sit at the table or lay on the floor and just sort of color and draw and watch TV or whatever, you know, and I, I guess that's sort of where it all started. <laughs> so from, obviously from your art and, uh, I think from some pictures I've seen on Instagram, you also skate. Yeah, for sure. So how long, um, how long have you been skateboarding? Uh, since I was a little kid, um, my brother, when he turned about 10, so I guess I was about four, got this uh, skateboard um, at, like, Kmart or something. And uh, what was it? A Volterra Meltdown or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, I actually just found one on eBay a few years ago, and I had to get it because it was the board that I first started skateboarding on. That's awesome. Of course, we had, like, the, the blue plastic banana board or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but that one wasn't super easy to skate on if you were like, you know, four or five years old or six yeah. years old. They were super um, sketchy. So, yeah, dude, those things are horrifying. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, uh, the the bigger board, uh, the Volterra board, you know, I could sort of kneel down on and push with my leg or, you know, sort of run and jump on and things like that. And that, that was my first experience with skateboarding was just in the driveway. We had a paved driveway, but, you know, as I said earlier, we lived out in the country. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I could go street skating, you know, with my friends or anything in the neighborhood because we didn't have a neighborhood. It was just us on the road. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd just skate up and down the driveway, you know, of course, cinder blocks and plywood, build little ramps and, you know, just sort of acid drop off the ramps and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that, that played a, a huge role in me. And it's like, uh, you know, I guess sort of just a creative person as well. So, I mean, I know from talking with you and also, um, again, from your Instagram, um, and with most people, I know that listen to the podcast, those that may be new, um, of course, I stalk everybody on Instagram for like a good six months. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I, I get to know I get to know people on Instagram first. So, you know, at seeing your, your posts and um, knowing that you're a teacher, at what point did you think, I want to combine art and, you know, teaching to teach people about art? Was that something later well, on or, or early on you knew it, you wanted to do? That was actually sort of an afterthought. Um, when I was in art school, I went solely for my bachelor's of fine arts, uh, just to be 
artist, whatever, and whatever mm-hmm. came out of it was cool. And, uh, you know, I got my fine arts degree in painting. And, uh, you know, after that, I was like, man, I got to make some money somehow. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. at the time, I was like, it, this isn't cutting it. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to work at a drugstore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, try to do artwork. And I mean, it's, it's worked for a lot of people, but for me, I was like, I, you know, I guess was what my dad had instilled in me as, you know, a, a state employee and working to support yourself and your family and the people closest to you. I was like, I've got to find something a little bit more substantial. So, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and get my, you know, teaching degree on top of my art degree. And since I'd already had, uh, you know, my bachelor's in fine arts or whatever. I didn't have to do a lot of the prerequisite stuff for the teaching degree. Mm-hmm. Um, just had to take like a few like developmental psychology classes and uh, special needs teaching classes and things like that, and then do my internship. And uh, so it once I you know got through all that, you know, I was able to you know find a job and you know um, it, it just sort of went from there. But I didn't go to art school thinking I'm going to be an art teacher by mm-hmm. any means. That was it was something that just sort of fell into place um, because I guess it was a necessity, and you know it was definitely an experience that I truly cherished and enjoyed. You know, teaching those kids was was awesome so, for the few years that I that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what were the ages that you were teaching? I taught uh, from kindergarten to fifth grade. My first two years of teaching, and mm-hmm. then uh, these last two years, I I was teaching middle school, so sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And what what um, did uh, the kids think of, of your art? Because I know that uh, you know you have your daily doodles and stuff that you would do here and there. Uh, obviously, before you uh, stopped teaching, the daily doodles are yeah. more frequent now. But uh, what did the kids yeah. think of your art? Uh, they were they were kind of weird. Um, you know they they. <laughs> They liked it, but at the same time, they didn't know how to perceive it because they couldn't place it into any type of, you know, social, you know, realm or whatever. They couldn't. Mm-hmm. They, they were, you know, stoked on Justin Bieber and Two Chains, <laughs> right. so they they didn't understand that when I'd wear my my dirty old boots, you know, they'd want to make fun of me. And I'm like, well, in the community I'm a part of, dirty old boots are just what you wear, you right. know. Um, so when they'd see my drawings, they'd be like, oh, that's cool. That's hot. I like that. But, you know, they didn't understand the, you know, what it was to the community that I was, that was the the intended audience for right. the artwork, you know? Right. Um, th- they liked it and they thought it was cool that I had a motorcycle or whatever and that I still had skateboards and that I had, you know, some of my old skateboards up along the wall. But, you know, then they're they're used to seeing P-Rod and Chris Cole on Street League or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the X Games, they, they didn't really understand the, the depths of, you know, skateboarding that I did from, you know, coming from such a small kid up through, you know, most of my life as a skateboarder. Right. So, you know, and it, I mean, I, I couldn't expect them to understand it either, no matter how much I taught them, you know. So it, it was just interesting, you know, uh, you know, I tried to educate them a little bit on certain things, you know, but, you know, it was it was funny just to see how they respond and react to some of the things that I throw out there in class time. That's because awesome. a lot of it just went way over their heads. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite age group to teach? 
Um, I, honestly, my favorite group I think were my kindergartners, mm. just the small babies, man, the little ones, because they'd come in and they would have no clue what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I had them, you know, learning about, you know, the color wheel and primary colors, secondary colors, and then I'd have them like eventually getting to the point later on the year where I'd be talking about juxtaposition and they'd be like, huh? what in the <laughs> world? And I'd be like, I know you don't quite grasp this yet, but I want to go ahead and plant this word in your head because I know you'll hear it later on in life. So I'd, I'd talk about like taking one thing that's completely different than the other and trying to make them work together. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I'd turn it into like a, a project where they take two different animals and put them together or something, mm-hmm. you know, even though that's not, total juxtaposition or whatever in the in the the definition of the term um you know it's just sort of planting little seeds in their head and I, I feel like you know a lot of times especially as I started to teach the older grades it's like they weren't getting the basics as little kids which made more work as they got older you know for them to try to cram into their brain but mm-hmm. you know like I said it was just seeing them as, as wide-eyed and uh you know just totally clueless to the art world and trying to expose them to things, especially like mixing colors. Mm-hmm. Like when you take blue and yellow and make green, mm-hmm. like their heads exploded, you know? <laughs> and, and and the cool thing was, you know, I got to act like I was a magician. Right. You know, I got to be a total goofy nerd and be like, all right, dude, something super cool is going to happen. Now watch what happens when I swirl these two colors together. And they're like, whoa, it looks like snot or something, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that is kind of a snotty green, isn't it, you know? And that's I mean, awesome. That, that's the stuff that, you know, I do miss about teaching. Yeah. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it's it's, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's just, I hate that. I don't have that every day, right. you know? Right. A part of me misses it, but I've got opportunities and abilities to trust so much other things now that I, I'm still young myself. I might sure. as well go for it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I would, yeah. not only do I agree with that, but I encourage that because being a father of three girls, um, my youngest is now in preschool and, um, <laughs> you know, my two older ones are fourth and third grade. So they're yeah. kind of, they're kind of past that whole, like, wow, it's amazing. I mean, they, they're making colors I've never seen before and doing artwork. That's, that's amazing. But you know, once you have kids, uh, or, you know, whether you plan on it or not, once you have children or you have something else change in your life, you bring pets in or whatever, you lose that, mm-hmm. uh, that freedom to be able to just kind of, you know, quit your job and go, go after yeah, art, for sure. you know, or go become a mechanic or go become a fabricator or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I think it's a good decision, you know, do it now while you can. And, um, you know, it's, I think if you apply yourself enough, and and do it enough, you'll succeed in it. I mean, it's kind of yeah, dude. You get what you put and into I, it. I, yeah, for sure. And I've got a great support system for sure. You know, and uh, you know, definitely with both my my wife and then you know the support within the industry. You know, from Loser Machine and whatnot. It's just you know, it's it's why not now? You know, yeah. before like I said, we we don't even have you know we don't have kids. Mm-hmm. We don't even have a dog. We're living in the airstream. Might as well go for it, <laughs> you know. And so, so it's just one of those things. We, it's an adventure, man. We say it every day. It's like it's an adventure, and that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Exactly. We um, yeah. 
we try to do that with our kids every once in a while, and they just look at us like, you're so full of crap. You know, <laughs> we're going to get up, we're going to go to school and we're going to come home and you're going to yell at us for not doing our homework. It's the same story, dad. Um, so thanks dad. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for trying. Um, you came out for, uh, born free five, obviously. And then the show class party, yep. um, yep. did you ride out or did you fly out? Cause I know a lot of people were pressed I- for time. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was super crushed for time. Uh, I flew out, um, which was an adventure itself talking about adventures, man. I was stuck in Raleigh for like, even though it's, you know, 40 minutes from where I live, I was there for 14 hours. I was just like, man, I'm not going back home just to come back to this airport. Wow. But you know, I mean, it, it was an adventure all around, but <laughs> it started off sort of sour, you know, but luckily once I got in the air, you know, uh, half a day later, <laughs> it, 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 it was, it was a blast, man, for sure. You know I mean? Uh, what everybody says about Born Free is 100% true. And the fact that it is a mental motorcycle overload mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's excellent and nowhere else. So you get to see all your friends and heroes and, uh, internet buddies, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in one place. And I mean, it, it's just a killer time. Um, I... yeah, so. So, so yeah, I was out there for that. <laughs> right on. It was. Uh, I know this year was kind of an anomaly because the, the past couple years has not been, you know, a hundred degrees plus. It was pretty brutal this year. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. I was. I'm not one to usually wear like a tank top or a sleeveless shirt because you know I don't want to make the ladies swoon over my muscular arms. Right. But I hear that. You know. <laughs> you know. I mean, hey, let's face it. I didn't earn this name by being ugly. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little warm, man. I was, when I'd be walking around from people, like, you know, talking to people and, uh, checking out tents and stuff, I'd be like, yeah, you mind if I step under here, grab a little shade, you know, it was, it was scorching for sure. Yeah. Super hot. That was, uh, it was a unique experience this year. I'm, I'm hoping next year we get, you know, normal, normal temperatures. <laughs> it was yeah. pretty brutal. Um, yeah. well, let me ask you, um, this is these are two questions typically I like to ask um, of people mm-hmm. because I know that I mean you've mentioned community a couple times and there's not only is our you know is there a close community that we typically find ourselves involved with whether it's our close friends or family whatever um, but there's also that global community and I know uh, every everybody on this crusty planet goes through things in their life and I like to ask these questions because I know that no matter what the answer is someone's going to identify and be able to yeah, maybe, sure. maybe take some encouragement. So, um, that being said, what, um, in your life to date, what's one of the toughest things or the, you know, the, the craziest things you've had to deal with, uh, in your life? I mean, it doesn't have to uh, be with motorcycles. It could just be, you know, just something as a person that you've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I knew this question was coming <laughs> and, uh, and I've been sort of racking my brain the last couple of days trying to, you know, sort of put myself in a position where, like, what what's really been super tough for me? And, you know, I'm, I've been blessed to have a fairly good life, you know, and uh, I can't think of many regrettable situations that I've been in or whatever. I mean, I just sort of take what I can from every situation I'm in and... 
uh, whatnot. And I, you know, I hate to, you know, sort of leave the question high and dry or whatever. But yeah. I, I, I don't. It, it's hard to sort of put myself in a, in a place where it's like, God, that was a terrible time in my life. You know, <laughs> um, I don't know if if it's like a, a self preservation thing where I blocked out all the bad stuff and I only focus on the good stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I yeah, I guess most people who know me on an individual level know that I'm either a goofy nerd or just really laid back. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't let too many things really bum me out too much. Well, I think there's, um, there's but, even some truth in what you just said and forgive me for cutting you off. Cause I think it's a good point Oh no, it's fine. in that, um, you know, you said, uh, at the beginning when you started to answer the question that, um, you, I want to make sure I word this correctly, that, uh, you've had a blessed life and, but you try not to, um, let things get you down or bum you. I can't remember the exact phrase you used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but that's a good thing. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of drama that goes on nowadays, especially with the internet. I mean, you have oh, you dude. Have all sorts of drama that goes on, right? Um, yeah, for sure. And that's like artificial drama. That's drama that people had to make up, you know, or put in front of other people. But just in general. So, what would be your um, if you had to? To counsel, like, say, you know, your son or, like, a younger brother or just a really good friend. I mean, what would be some advice that you'd give to them as far as just, you know, dealing with things that come up in life and in the world? Yeah, uh, I mean, when it comes to that, I mean, yeah, there's there's been just sort of, like, where you you, you heart to, you know, there as far as, like, internet drama and things like that. I mean, there have been people who say things and do things and, you know, try to, sound tough or whatever on the internet and whatnot and you know i'm i'm I'm, you know just forget that stuff it's if uh i can't remember who said it up maybe it was uh dude from lone rangers kenny you know if you're doing something right people are going to hate on you you know sure and uh and that and that's sort of i guess you know somebody's going to try to say something negative then you're doing something right Sure. Um, so just sort of push those people aside because more than likely they're not going to be a part of the community in a few years anyway. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, if you're in the community for the wrong reasons, people are going to push you out or you're going to dissolve. You yeah. Know? Um, and it, it's tough because that's how it was in skateboarding, mm-hmm. uh, you know, growing up uh, to see people that you do get close to and then they sort of just go away. But at the same time, they were never in it for the right reasons anyway. They weren't, you know, they, if say somebody, you know, rode a skate or whatever to be popular at school or whatever, that, that wasn't going to be for them, you know? And I think even Billy sort of harped to that in his uh, interview as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It was something that, you know, you were either into it because you absolutely loved it and you needed it and it was a part of you. And, uh, you know, uh, you couldn't you couldn't go a day without it, right. or you were in it for the wrong reasons. I mean, and uh, those people are going to go away, so don't worry about them. You know, just screw them. Let them let them talk their junk. Keep a smile on your face for sure, and uh, you know, just have fun. True. You know, don't don't worry don't worry about it. Have fun. You know. True. Uh, my buddy Matt uh, Curley is a tattoo artist and. She said, uh, tattoo conventions and things like that are like high school with beards and beer bellies. Yeah. And I sort of feel the same <laughs> way about, 
you know, our motorcycle community, the dudes who are the, the jockey turds are going to be jockey turds their whole lives. Right. You know, the guys who are cool and like to hang out with everybody are going to be cool and like to hang out with everybody their whole lives. And those are the people you want to surround yourself with. So let the jockey turds be jockey turds and <laughs> hang out with your with your buddies, you know. I mean, I, I really can't put it any other way. <laughs> no, I like that. I'm thinking that uh, that's that might be a, a Chopper Profit sticker. Don't be a jockey turd. <laughs> Don't be a jockey turd. (laughs) Well, that being said, you know, before I go to the last question, um, I want to get your perspective then on, we've seen a real, um, we, I mean, I just got into the community not too long ago. So, but in the last couple of years, from what I've seen, there's been a huge influx of, you know, people rushing in, whether it's, you know, buying new bikes or buying used bikes and just getting into this, you know, chopper culture, whether it, and, and include in there, you know, bobbers or cafes or whatever. Uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter the style of bike you have. It just seems like there's a lot of people, especially in Southern California, um, just really jumping into the motorcycle scene altogether. What's your take on, you know, the longevity of that? Do you think it's something that's going to last for a while? Or do you think people are just going to kind of, like you said, follow the wayside because they were never really uh, into it? it? It depends, man. I mean, it, it's something that, you know, a, a lot of dudes grew up riding dirt bikes and things as kids. I wasn't fortunate enough, you know, monetary-wise for us to have that stuff. You know, we didn't have money for me and my brother to have dirt bikes and four-wheelers and things like that. Um, So it's not like something that was even deeply rooted in me. I didn't get my first bike till five years ago, my first motorcycle. Um, But, you know, my dad didn't have a motorcycle. You know, really nobody in our family, like uncles or anything, rode motorcycles. It was something that I just sort of, found myself sort of getting into and you know certain people are going to be into it and really like it and stick around forever and other ones are doing it because they think it's cool and Mm -hmm. you know maybe they will stick around forever maybe they'll continue to support the community or maybe they'll disappear um and you know it it's one of those things it's it's not for everybody right i mean i've had friends who get on motorcycles and they're like dude this is unnatural and they just don't (laughs) dig it but you know for other people they get on it and they rip around and it's like they've been on a motorcycle their whole lives so you know it's it's just one of those things i mean i'm stoked to have more people getting into it it's cool you know Mm -hmm. it's it's good for everybody it's good for the builders it's good for the uh companies who are producing uh parts and uh, dudes who are, you know, running clothing companies. It's it's good for the longevity in that sense as to people, you know, who do make their living off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for those people, and I'm stoked for every company who makes money doing what they do and loving what they do, um, especially if they're in it for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough call as to whether or not these people should be a part of the community, but we all started somewhere. Yeah. You know, it's like, you can't hate a kid who's got a, a Harley Davidson 48 or whatever, uh, brand new off the showroom floor with a flannel shirt and a three quarter helmet and slip on bands and tight jeans and a skateboard strap to a sissy bar mm-hmm. because we were all that kid at some point. Right. Um, you know, and you know, my first bike was a Suzuki Savage, you know, that's not a cool chopper bike by any means, but I made it my bike and I had fun with it. Right. You know, I, was, I learned and, you know, I just sort of did my thing and, you know, it's led to greater things, you know, as you know, it's it sort of just, you know, I don't know the 
know, yeah. and the people I've met, it's been awesome, and it's been a great experience. I don't want to trade any of it for the world. I think it's a great point, you know, and you're not the first person to make that, that there's a lot of people that can hate on everybody, you know, and um, I think the, the core thing to remember is that we did, we all started somewhere. I mean, I'm still starting, you know what I mean? And there's people yeah. out there that are still, still starting. Um, and uh, it probably really just should come down to the character of the person, you know, and why they're, yeah. why they're doing it. Yeah, for sure. What, um, to to kind of draw the the interview to a close, I'm going to ask this question. Um, and since you've had a blessed life, um, which I'm not saying sarcastically at all, uh, hopefully you'll have a good example of this. Yeah. What uh, What's been kind of the one of the most amazing experiences that you've had? And I mean, you know, amazing is um, different people have different uh, thoughts or definitions for amazing, but I use the word loosely. What's one of the most amazing experiences you've had? in your life to date? Um, honestly, it's, it's been, uh, this adventure I've had with my wife. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even from, from when we met, it was, it was a rough time for both of us. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want, to, I don't want people to think like, Oh, he's, he's been walking on, you know, golden streets his entire life. No, <laughs> I mean, we, I've had rough times, but you know, as I said, I try not to, well or focus on them and I've probably mentally blocked them somehow mm-hmm. in some strange way but uh when we met it was it was sort of like a rough time for both of us and uh things just sort of clicked for us and you know through dating uh Melanie and uh the places we've been the things we've done together um you know without a doubt um my wife has been my support system in the past, you know, five or six years, however long we've been together. Um, you know, even through this adventure where we're living in this airstream and, uh, she's made so many sacrifices so I can follow my, you know, dream of just being a full-time artist, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, as I said, I, I went to school to be an artist and, uh, she knew that and she knew that I was teaching the, you know, you know, secure, you know, financially a future for myself, but mm-hmm. we both had this opportunity to, you know, sort of embark on this adventure and uh, see what came up with it, what, what it, what it, you know, sort of came up to. And uh, she was super supportive in the fact that, you know, go for it. You know, you, even though I never see it in myself, she's like, you're, you're so talented. You can do this, you can do that. Um, go for it, see what happens, you know, and if we have to, you can go back to teaching later on, but, you know, it's, it's, without her support, I would probably teach 35 years, retire, and, you know, just live a, a, a normal state worker's life, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, given me the uh, strength and the encouragement to, to go for it, and, you know, hopefully it'll pay off, and uh, we can, you know, living the way we do, be able to travel more and do things like that, you know, and sure. we'll just see how it goes. It's it's an adventure, <laughs> <laughs> you know, without a doubt. And, and it's fun, you know, and every day's fun. Um, not that we have the, you know, uh, don't get on each other's nerves, especially since we're living in a tiny confined space now. Right. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, 
it's uh, I love waking up every morning and hanging out with her before she goes to work, and you know being here, uh, trying to get the dishes washed before she gets home, so she'll think I actually did something during the day except <laughs> sit at my desk and doodle. You know what I mean? Yeah, that doesn't change <laughs> so, regardless of the size of the space. <laughs> exactly, I do the same thing <laughs> for sure. So I mean. One hundred percent. That's that's been the the greatest blessing in my life is one hundred percent my wife and uh, you know she grew up in the same type of family I did. You know mm. she 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 was the older sister. She had a younger sister. I had an older brother. But her fam her her parents had been together for years and years and years. And uh, you know it, it's just clicked. We both understand each other. We know uh, without even having to say a word what's going on. You know. And uh, we're just best friends, 100%. And, you know, that's that's not, you know, chopper gold or anything, but, you know, I feel like it, it's my duty to make sure people understand who I am as an individual. Yeah. You know? and, uh, it's easy to get wrapped up in skateboarding, motorcycles, and booty phone drawings or whatever, but uh, when it comes down to it, people need to realize that everybody isn't who they are on the Internet. And um, yeah. 100 percent uh thank you 100 you know without a doubt for allowing me to be able to let people sort of hear me a little bit because there's not many voices on the internet you know yeah it's all images and text and it's easy to be a tough guy or a cool guy or whatever but to actually talk and it's it's cool to to get it out there well i'm glad that uh not everything appears as it is uh you know or isn't as it is on the internet because i'm actually really thin and good looking and uh just want to put that out there. <laughs> I can I can attest to that. Uh, I I was okay. I was smitten when I met you. <laughs> it it was your braids that got me. I just want to put that out there too. Um you know what you said back there it, I I really if I can end off or if we can end off on that, I think it's uh in my opinion, this is my op-ed portion of the the podcast, it's truth. You know, um, you said that it's not chopper gold, but in reality, I really think, you know, it's the people that matter in our lives. And we do live in such a, a society that's, um, you know, just, we're just, we thrive on technology. I mean, this is how we are now. And, um, yeah, for sure. you know, our kids are growing up and our nieces and nephews and our friends' kids are growing up in a, in a time where they don't know what it's like just to sit on the floor and color you know, without like an oh. iPhone or an iPad or something so getting their attention. So, um, you know, when you can establish friendships, especially, you know, one like you and your wife have and, and, um, you know, take it to that level of marriage that, um, it is, that is chopper gold, man, because that is going to outlast any knucklehead, panhead, you know, 48, whatever big twin, <laughs> you know, it's going to outlast sure. it all. Um, but, so uh, true. But that's that's what I would say, and um, I appreciate you coming on here and being so candid, and um, you know, putting a voice to to your essentially to your pictures and your and your life so far on Instagram. Um, and you know, we we talked a lot about just kind of you growing up and what got you into art and skating and all that, and then um, living in an airstream in North Carolina. But what we didn't talk yeah. about is what an amazing artist you are, and. I wish we had more time, but I do want to encourage people go on Instagram. And again, you don't have to have the application on your phone. Uh, since Facebook 
bought Instagram, now you have uh, access to Instagram on the web. And you can go to www.or uh, actually it's http colon whack whack instagram.com uh, forward slash uh, the gorgeous George. And you can see his artwork in his profile. He posts a lot of it up there. Um, as well as you can hit his website up, um, which he told me he's going to be updating uh, very soon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's uh, gorgeousgeorgeart.com. Thank you for the kick in the butt. Hey, man, anytime. I'm here to be of service. <laughs> um, George, I again, it was a pleasure meeting you uh, in person, and I'm glad that we uh, we dialogued even before then and, and had the opportunity to meet. And it's been great just, you know, sitting here on the, on the, the podcast listening to your life. Yeah, man, most definitely. Awesome. Well, um, thanks again for being on, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Mike. tell you my story first you have to tell me the story of bear how you found bear or how you got bear Miguel? Mm-hmm. okay i'm driving down the street i see this guy walking out to his volkswagen with a gunny sack and this female bitch following him her tits dagging the ground and everything i stop and ask him say hey man you got any her pups he goes yeah i got them all right here they're going in the canal mm. so I picked him out of, there was 12 of them, and uh, I just picked them all up by the tail, and the one that didn't snivel, that's the one I took. (laughs) (laughs) They were three days old. Raised him on goat's milk in a baby bottle. Hmm. Uh, Smarter than any woman I ever had. Uh, (laughs) He's he's just smart. He understood English. I had a girlfriend ask me one time, does he know any tricks? And I says, no, you don't need to know any tricks. I say he understands English. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he lasted 14 years. Mm. Had to have him put down because his hips finally went out. He couldn't walk. How'd you used to, when, when you first got him, I remember you telling me about how you carried him and then until he got oh, older. Started in my jacket pocket. Yeah. In, you know, inside pocket. When he outgrew that, then he just went inside the jacket. Mm -hmm. And when he outgrew that, he just went between my legs. (laughs) Ended up being a 120-pounder. Oof. Uh, Probably close to 100,000 miles on a motorcycle (laughs) he put on in his lifetime. That's awesome. He's up Cook's Corner one time. That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. (laughs) That involves another another motorcycle. (laughs) Yeah, it did. (laughs) There's this gal come riding up on a bike, and she, you know, I thought she was that and a little more, you know? Mm-hmm. Bear runs up, and he sniffs her, turns around, hikes his leg, and pissed all over. <laughs> She's running around, her, who owns that dog? Who owns that dog? <laughs> Nobody's saying nothing. Everybody's just laughing, you know? Some dude out over there hollers, well, he was just marking his territory. <laughs> I mean, who's going to argue with a 120-pound dog? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially at a at a bar, you know, a biker bar at that time. Um, what was the... I remember you telling me a story about him. Uh, you guys were coming out of Cook's Corner, or from Cook's Corner, and you... Uh, a little liberated, were we? Yeah. Yeah. He used to drink, too. <laughs> uh. <laughs> In fact, I think he egged you on a little bit, didn't he? Sometimes he might. <laughs> you like Christian Brothers brandy. Hmm. 
I like my whiskey back then. <laughs> he didn't like whiskey, but he'd drink brandy. I never could understand that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we left there one time, and we went flying around a corner, hit a little bit of gravel, and went down, and we slid through the, the <laughs> terrain out there. <laughs> you know? Him first. He's got his nose stuck in the dirt, and he's just kicking shit up, and... <laughs> I'm I'm coming right along behind, catching it all. <laughs> Poor pup. Yeah, I didn't think his nose was ever going to turn black again. Oh. It turned pink from just I mean, grounded away almost. That's <laughs> <laughs> so when you finally came to a stop. You remember looking around and yeah, I got up and went back to the car to the bike and started twisting things around, getting it ready to ride home. <laughs> Fired it up, and he looks at me like, you, you're crazy, man. You bumped your head. I ain't getting on there. He took off walking down the street. <laughs> Such an awesome dog. It's like 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 a broad or something. I'm on the motorcycle go riding along next to him. Come on, man. You got to get on the bike. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could have met him. Finally, he, he decided, okay, he's going to take a ride home. We rode home, and his nose is bleeding. I'm just covered with his blood by the time we get home. And mm -hmm. I was starting to get a little drunk by then, you might say. <laughs> Went into the trailer, and I just crashed. I get up the next morning, I got a pillow stuck to my face. Oh. You know, <laughs> from the dried from blood. The blood. <laughs> did you have recollection right then what happened? Or did you oh, to... yeah, I knew what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I get in the shower, get all cleaned up and everything. Hell, the blood was all his. Oh, man. All I got was this little thing right under my eye here. A little scratch. Yeah. Huh. And, uh, 